Welcome to an episode of the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show. I am Tasha Blakely, Anatasha, Anatasha, however you want to say it is fine. I really don't care, and I respond to many names. Today, we have an interview with Brandon Jennings, who truly I call the funniest man alive a lot. I say that about him pretty much anytime he comes up in conversation. I love him. You, He is such a sweetie, and you can check him out on the NBC Peacock show AP Bio, which he writes for and appears in, and the improv team Cook County Social Club, which is arguably the best improv team in the world. In this interview, we talk about how Cook County um, preps for their shows, how they talk about their shows when they're done. We talk about being in a writer's room and Brendan's improv journey. And he is just a delight. And I couldn't stop laughing during this interview. It's the best. So please enjoy this interview with Brendan Jennings. You're listening to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show. Guys. Oh, it's so nice to see your face. Oh, yeah, thanks for being nice here, be Brendan. Seen. Yeah, thank you so much for yeah, being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. How is your life right now? Like with pandemic and stuff, like what are you what are you up to? It's good. It's hard, but it's also cool that the family's always all together, you know. It's a weird thing. It's such a weird balance of like this is definitely something we'll never forget, but it's also sucks a lot. <laughs> I'm really sick of it. How are you guys doing? Is everybody doing good? Yeah, we're hanging in there, just trying to uh, keep, you know, spending time together and creating together and stuff. But it's definitely different. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's good. That's really good. Awesome. Well, let's. Well, then make just... me make sure I'm at the right. I don't want to make sure I'm not on my shitty Wi-Fi. I want to make sure also, I'm on my Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> For the record, I kind of like the closeness. I feel like. <laughs> It feels like you're closer to me. <laughs> I don't know how people like always have it and they're like so far away, but I'm like always like, my laptop. This is how it works. The laptop's here. You click clack away. <laughs> and if I could just bottle you up, <laughs> such a joy bringer. I just want to bottle you up and keep me with, like. <laughs> it, it works even over zoom just yeah. having you on the screen is like having you in the room that seems like a good place to start actually brennan because i think you're known for that like is that fair to say do you feel like you're known for that for coming through the screen for or just, getting too close for just being a bundle of like joyful energy <laughs> you know i think yeah. are you really happy is it all a front <laughs> i'm generally uh, I'm, I'm generally always happy i think my wife would be like actually no joke we got into a fight once and she was like how come everybody gets the fun brendan <laughs> 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 so I guess not fun. I don't know. <laughs> so a, a not fun Brendan does exist. That's actually kind of nice to know. That's that's a reassuring to hear. <laughs> Anytime you come up, it's always like, oh, that guy's so funny. He's so great. I love that guy. He's so uh, nice. nice. He's like that's good because who knows? Those improv circles that can get catty. Be yeah. very clicky, yeah. You 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 piss off the wrong person. That could be the end of it. You're dead. 
I actually have a theory because <laughs> you really do come up a lot when people are like, oh, who's an improviser you like to watch? I'm like, Brendan is the funniest person alive. <laughs> and I, I have a theory that it's like you are you are a bundle of joy. You make me feel like I'm funnier. Like just talking to you as a person, I feel like you are you delight in everything. <laughs> And that's my theory about you is that I'm like, the reason why you're so funny is because you find everything delightful. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Maybe your wife will tell me, but um, that's my <laughs> We're actually going to have, we're going to see if she'll be our next guest and we'll uh, get the truth. <laughs> yeah, get the true scoop. Yeah. Uh -huh. The second episode. <laughs> How long have you been married, Brendan? Uh, oh man, I've got to look at my wedding ring. It's inscribed on the middle. I, no joke. And this is another thing. I always forget stuff. Like we that. can cut this part out. Yeah, please do. Uh, 2002. So 18. Wow. Yeah. 18 nice years, work. yo. Well, congratulations. Ah, damn, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been great, man. It's, she's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. So did you get married when you still lived in Chicago? Uh, actually, I was living in Florida at the time, like right after college. Um, is this the, are we on? <laughs> We're going. We started. Oh, God. Oh, no. Yeah, it's happening. <laughs> what have I said? <laughs> Were you not on? Were you not? Were you oh not God, here we go. Turn uh, it on. Turn it on. How long have I been married? Uh, we just got engaged. I'm only 22. <laughs> Young and hip. Uh, no, I was, uh, we, right after we went to college, uh, uh, my wife and I, who was just my girlfriend at the time, moved to Florida. And I was living, we were working for Disney World in Orlando. And uh, I, we got married when I was down there. So yeah, and then we moved to Chicago together nice and before that you're uh you're from long island right yeah baby i did my yes. research long island uh <laughs> that's great and and i uh, i just like i kind of like to dig into people's like origin stories because i'm always fascinated of like how did you land in comedy like what how did you get here because it's not a a, a, a natural place to be especially <laughs> especially neither of your parents are in entertainment right like uh, no a couple podcasts i listen to uh your mom's a librarian and your dad is a lawyer slash consultant yeah he was they're both retired now i think i kind of got into comedy though but i was it was a very funny family which is the truth my dad always rented comedy movies he had us at, on monty python when we were like you know eight years old we were watching holy grail he would always get, this is how old I am, back in the days of video stores, would always rent like the best of somebody from SNL and we'd watch like uh, Eddie Murphy over and over again and all that stuff. So we were always, being funny was like how we were like loving to each other because we weren't a super like, I love you family. <laughs> like my wife's family is very much like, I love you, hello, good morning, hey, I love you. And we're very much like, fuck you, hey, look at you, you dumb idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and like the way we would communicate with each other is basically by making fun of each other all the time it was i mean it was kind of just being like an improv on an improv team as a kid where it would just be like everybody makes fun of each other and that's how we got along <laughs> so it was always kind of like um the dinner table was kind of like a a topping of each other whoever like was if you were funny at the dinner table you were funny in real life so yeah my family was a very funny family my uncle was like the king, uh, like my two biggest influences were probably my dad, who again introduced me to all this comedy, would just always be a cut up himself. And then my uncle, who was just like the ultimate life of a party. Like you'd go over to his house for Christmas 
and the whole family would just be rolling. And he had the greatest stories. He was a police officer. I want to be like those two, like controlling a room and having people laugh at him. So that's kind of where my comedy journey began. I still remember the date when my dad sat me down to watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> and it was just, it's similar because neither of my parents are creative. My dad was like a construction guy and my mom's a nurse, but he was like, it was like a moment. It was like, this movie is going to be a defining moment for you. Like it's amazing. And it, and it, I mean, it, it was. That's the same with my dad. Like he looked it up on, on the TV guide and it was on PBS that night. And he made such a huge deal about it. Like I was nervous. <laughs> and then when we watched it like i died and i recently watched it with my older son and it was a big deal again like i was so nervous and like he would laugh at certain parts and i thought he didn't like it and i was like damn oh i felt so bad and then like a, a couple of weeks later he's like we gotta watch that movie again that was hilarious and i was like oh thank god yeah. <laughs> there are certain parts of that movie that i remember me my best friend tia growing up was like you have to watch this and we would just like rewind and and just the tape and just rewatch this like 30 seconds over and over again in a few spots it was so funny to watch it with my son because like comedy to them now is like youtube guys doing like a lot of like i mean stuff that we all basically left at like fart jokes and stuff over and over again but it's also like when they start like talking about the, the weights of swallows and stuff like that, I'm like, this is definitely a lot net landing with the boy. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your, where, where did that morph from you from being, oh, it's fun to like make jokes with the family and like my dad's really funny to being like, wait, people, people are going to give me money for being funny. Um, I, I then like, for me, it was like humor kind of turned into like a self-defense mechanism. I was really small, prone to bullying in high school. And the way I'd get out of bullying a lot of times was I'd make people laugh. And then in like, so in small groups of friends, like people would always say I was super funny. And I was like, slowly like that confidence would like build of like, maybe I am funny. Like I wasn't well known throughout the school because I wanted to disappear and not get bullied. But then suddenly in these small groups of circles, people were saying I was funny um, and I kind of always like weirdly started building confidence in these small groups of circles to the point where I got to college and then suddenly I wasn't on Long Island, New York anymore, <laughs> which is like, I don't know, like I, I went to school at, at Xavier University in Cincinnati, Ohio, and it felt like being in a whole new world. People would talk to me and I'd be like, I don't think you're supposed to talk to me, man. Like there's a hierarchy here. Like <laughs> I'll never forget like the first time like a girl like spoke to me. I'm like, oh girls don't talk to me. I'm just like, I'm down the food chain. <laughs> Where suddenly <laughs> but I got there and then suddenly this like weird like uh, social confidence I had in these small groups in high school started to expand because it was like people in Ohio were nice. <laughs> And then because of that, I ended up trying out for the first bit of theater I ever did. Because in high school, I just did, uh, I was an athlete. I just ran a lot. I did cross country and all that stuff. And I, But I always wanted to do theater. But like, again, like growing up on Long Island in the 90s, it was like, dude, you don't do theater. You're going to get pounded. Um, <laughs> so suddenly I was like, hell, I want to do theater. So I tried out for the show. And then again, like I'm suddenly again in a small bubble and my comfort zone is like making people laugh. And it was like, great. And then somebody was like, you should try out for this. At the end of the year, the Xavier Theater Department always does this big sketch and improv show. And I was like, the only improv knowledge I had was Who's Line at the time. 
And I was like, okay, I'll try that out. I like SNL. Was, I always wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. And so I tried out for it. And that really kind of just launched everything. I started that show. I just got huge response from like an audience that showed up. Like we did like, oh, maybe it was just a weekend, but it was like four shows. And at each one of those shows was kind of sold out. You're in college. And suddenly people are like laughing at everything you're saying. And I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest. I can't get enough of this. And I was just in all the way in from there. And I wanted to figure out. And, and the cool thing was, is like improv, the improv part of it was I was up there with my friends and I didn't have to be by myself. Like I always like kept noodling in my notebook that I was going to do stand up. And it, it would just sound like somebody else's joke. I didn't know how to like construct something that seemed unique to me. And then suddenly doing this improv stuff, I was doing with my friends, still getting laughs and I didn't have to be by myself. And so from there, me and a small group of guys just started the first improv group on uh, Xavier's campus. And it's still there today, which is awesome. We just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. I was like obsessed since then. Really quick question. What was the play that you first were in? <laughs> Trojan Women. It was <laughs> a Greek tragedy. And that's actually where I met my wife, which is so funny. I was a Roman soldier or Greek soldier. I don't know. One of the, I was a soldier of some sort. I think it was a Roman soldier who led a teenage girl to death. And a teenage girl <laughs> was my wife. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so every night I would drag her to like get murdered on stage. <laughs> That's uh, that's so beautiful. What a romantic uh, yeah, isn't it a great story? Romantic meet cute. Yeah. The funny thing was, is like the director was like, because she had two little kids, and one of the kids was supposed to be in the show. Like she was like, my son's gonna come and be part of the show. And the first time I ever saw my wife, she was like in pajamas in a theater. Like as co you know, college girls, they just like wear pajamas and stuff everywhere. They're allowed to do that. I don't know. This is my stand-up, by the way. College girls wear pajamas everywhere they go. <laughs> um, and so when I first saw her, I'm like, oh, that little must be the director's little kid. <laughs> like, oh, no. Oh, no. The girl I married. <laughs> oh. I don't know if that's romantic more than it's creepy. It's kind of creepy that at first I thought she was a little kid. <laughs> You were like, She's a full-grown woman. She's I gotta get to know that kid. Something <laughs> about that kid. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about that kid. <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> so dumb. Uh, do you feel like that uh, your your love of having your friends with you translates to a writer's room for you? Like, is that, Absolutely. is it a similar feeling? So we should preface this. You're, you're writing for AP bio right now. Is that still true? That's right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Actually, we just got picked up for a fourth season and we're oh, about to start writing. Congratulations. Again. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank awesome. God. Oh, the best news of the quarantine. So good. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to start that again soon. But honestly, yeah, I was, Kind of actually, I moved out to Los Angeles kind of terrified of writing. Like me and the other guys at Cook County Social Club came out on a pilot, but it was a pilot that Greg and Mark and our buddy Andy mainly wrote. And then I came in on Punch Up, which was super fun. And when we're all doing that together, it was the greatest. And I was like, oh, that's fun. But anytime somebody was like, you should be get into writing, I was like, I, ugh, I, I don't do that part. I don't know it. Story, I don't understand. Uh, I was terrified of it. And then, um, before season two of AP Bio, Mike O'Brien, who created the show, and we've been friends for a really long time, he asked me to come on and write for it. And I was terrified. And I sat down with um, my buddy Shelly, who's also a writer on there, who we went through Second City together. 
And she's like, it's just doing improv, man. You're just in a room with your friends making jokes all day. And that's exactly the same feeling I had in college on that stage doing that weird improv show at the end of the year is the exact same thing like every day in the writer's room. It's so much fun. Uh, and, and, and I'm kind of very lucky to be in that writer's room, which has a lot of my friends in it. So it, I wonder how different it would be if I my first room was like some stranger's room. I'd, I'd probably be a lot more scared, but that one I was just wide open. And it's just so much fun to just do nothing but bits all day. <laughs> so nice when you you have those friends for so long that you probably know each other's taste and buttons really well. So I'm imagining it's a lot more fun than jumping into a stranger's room. My buddy Tim told me before we went up there, who used to be Tim Robinson, who does um, I Think You Should Leave on Netflix. Everybody should watch that. So funny. Was uh, an original member of Cook County Social Club. I was like bemoaning how like I had like hadn't had an acting job in like over two months or something. And he was like, why don't you become a writer? It's the closest thing you'll ever get to being an improviser who makes a lot of money. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> so it really is the best improv job in the world. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> I want to just plug AP Bio because part of the thing I love so much about watching it is it does like... And maybe it's just because I know a lot of the people involved with the show, but it does feel there are a lot of things about it that feel like I'm watching improv. Like I can sort of see like the improv has its fingers in like the timing of the edits and the jokes and the different things like that. Definitely feel like it comes from a place of improv roots. So, I mean, I would recommend it to anybody, but I think most of the people listening to this podcast are improvisers. So if you haven't watched AP Bio yet, I think that any improviser would especially enjoy that show. That makes me really happy because, too, it's kind of funny, especially when it was on network. Season two was on NBC. We had a little more freedom with season three because it was on Peacock. And so we didn't have that weird constraint of like 22 minutes. Um, and so we kind of got to get a little weirder. But the fun thing on especially like season two, because we were on network, it was so <laughs> funny to watch like a video edit and then fight over like what the network wanted to keep in the 22 minutes versus what we wanted. Like for us, it was like, when they pause for like 15 seconds, it's so funny to us. And they're like, that's 15 seconds that we can save. But you're like, you don't understand why that's funny. <laughs> so I'm really happy you said that. And I'm glad some of those moments survive because it really is like, I think there's things that improvisers can clearly look at and be like, oh my God, improv made it to network TV. <laughs> oh my gosh. There's one episode. I don't want to give too much away, but there's one episode and it makes sense that it's in the third season where you, you it just keep saying previously on and i was like that's such a that feels like such a cook county bit like you say previously on i don't i don't remember how many times but my wife and i were just dying laughing oh, so funny. Yeah, that makes me happy yeah uh speaking of my wife just because i brought it up she would be mad if i didn't tell you that she's obsessed with you and you're her celebrity crush and i can never leave you alone with her just want to put that out there <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> Tell her that my wife thinks I'm an asshole, apparently. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only nice to other people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think if you knew how much your name come up, came up in conversations that we've had about improv... You probably would have said no to this podcast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You definitely wouldn't have let me give you a ride home that one time. <laughs> That's right. You're like, I do not want her to know where I live. <laughs> 
That little weird bird on your uh, dashboard should have told me you were crazy. Now I know. Well, you know God. what? That was, was Jet's fault. Me. I forgot about that bird. That was Jet's fault. And I don't even remember how it ended up in there. But then I was like, this lives here now. Yeah, they were so nice to do that, too. One of the there's people out there who feel bad that I, I don't drive. And you were so sweet to drive me home that night. Anytime, man. We ever get out of here again to do improv shows. I'm hitting you up. I love it. Yeah, why call Lyft when you could just text Tasha? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, Let's transition a little bit to Cook County Social Club because I don't think there's any improviser <clears throat> in the world who makes a list of their top improv teams that Cook County doesn't end up somewhere on that list, if not the top of that list. How did you guys first get together? When I first moved to Chicago, I started taking classes at Second City NIO at the same time. I was like obsessed with getting on Second City stage because when I was doing that college group at Xavier, we took a big, Cincinnati was really close. So we drove up and did like a theater tour of Chicago. And one of the stops we did, we did a, a workshop with Second City and went and saw their show that night. I sat in that main stage room and I was like, this is it. Like kind of going back to this like journey, suddenly that kid who was watching Monty Python with his dad in his living room who's then doing a show on the weekend in this in college and getting these laughs. Suddenly it's all coming together in this like one dank old school dark room. And I was like, if I don't work here, I will die. It's the only thing in the world to this day <laughs> that I've ever wanted so bad. Like I could taste it. It was my obsession. And so I got to Chicago and I started taking classes there. And in my first class, I was in class with Greg Greg wanted to start like an improv group right away. We kind of were like of similar minds, like while taking classes, sometimes people just take classes all the way through. We wanted to take class and then also start performing right away. And Chicago is just this beautiful Mecca for improv, especially back then. I'd, I don't know. I wonder how it will survive after all this insanity. But um, you could basically do it anywhere, any night of the week if you really looked for it. And so Greg was like, I want to start a group with a bunch of people I really like. He invited me invited Bill Cochran, who ended up being a member of Cook County Social Club, and a bunch of other people. And we started this big group called Show Pony. It was probably like nine of us. And so we would do shows whenever we could. We'd sign up for everything. We'd be in a bar on Monday night. We'd be like in somebody's like loft on Tuesday night. It was crazy. And as we're doing this, there's another group going around with Mark Ratterman called Chuckle Sandwich. So every night we're hanging out with each other all the time. And then, I mean, it was when we were young and, and it was the best. Like we do shows all night then we'd stay up all night into the morning and just talk about improv all the time, all the time, all the time. Can't get enough of it. Um, and eventually this leads to like Bill and Mark had this day job at this law firm <laughs> downtown Chicago doing transcribing. <laughs> I was working at this awful, awful deli. And I was just so sick of it. And they're like, let's see if we can get you a job as a secretary at this law firm. The lady who works there loves like comedians she'll i bet you she hires you and she did and so it's me bill and mark working in this in these cubicles all day i'm a very bad secretary by the way i was really, really bad <laughs> the lady liked me because i guess this goes back to everybody thinks you're nice the lady is like you're so sweet brendan but you have to work faster <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is is i was like one of the few people there who was working really hard but i'm so slow that it like what i do one document when other people were cranking out like 12 of them, it was like really bad. Cool. Greg was working right down the street at the time at the art gallery. And what we would do is we'd have Greg lunch Fridays and every Friday it would be the three of us 
would leave the law firm and go meet Greg downtown. And we'd have these like huge lunches and it was just nonstop bits. We'd just do bits all friggin' day. Then we'd go back to our offices, open up our email chat boxes and then do bits all day <laughs> email <laughs> chat boxes. It just turned into this thing where we're like, we should get together and do something. Because the four of us like really loved performing with each other, uh, just hanging out. And so we, that's when Cook County, like the idea of it formed. And our obsession was at the time was we were doing all these shows with these other groups and all these other little like rinky dink places that we wanted it to be at IO in Chicago. Like we wanted to work hard enough to get a spot at IO because like the two big spots in Chicago were Second City where you had to be hired. And then IO where you had to like really find some time in there to get a chance to do it. And if you had a show that was successful, it would stay. And so we were determined to make sure that we were a show that got on stage there and stayed forever, as long as we wanted it to. We, we wanted to get to that point where like we were in control of like when we got scheduled. The funny thing about Cook County was, is like we went from performing in these other groups every day of the week to we're not going to get on stage as Cook County Social Club until we like feel we're ready. So what we did was like for like four months, just nonstop rehearse with each other every night, almost every night. It was crazy. Like we'd go rehearse at um, one of the classrooms, an empty classroom in I.O., and we just rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. And one of the improv teachers there, Jeff Griggs, we asked him to coach us. And he's like, I'm not really looking to coach anything. And then one night, he, so it would just be us in this empty room, the four of us in this empty room, making each other laugh over and over and over again. And we're starting to feel better about it. And one night, Jeff, who said he wouldn't coach us, comes in and he's like, I'll just watch for a little bit. And he watched and he just starts dying. And he goes, okay, I'll coach you. I'll coach you. <laughs> and so Jeff suddenly becomes our coach. And so for like a, the last two months, it would just be us in a room with Jeff, making Jeff laugh as much as possible. And then us going, do you think we can get a spot? <laughs> and Jeff's like, you're ready. Go, go do a show. So we signed up for a show and that we ended up getting um, a slot with another group at the IO in Chicago on um, a Sunday night. It was like Sunday. Oh, it was a real kind of cruddy time spot. And you get kind of four weeks to like build up a house. So we had four week run at the IO Chicago on a Sunday night. And by the time we ended, it was like sold out. It was great. Our fourth week, we had a sold out house and Sharna saw it and was like, okay, I'm going to give you another time slot and another eight weeks or something. She put us like up on Friday night. And again, we built up this audience to the point where suddenly, probably uh, six months into it, she offered us Tuesday nights, our own time slot, our dream, like kind of coming true of her being like, you guys are the headliner of the time slot, it's your time slot. And from there, we ran it for like nine years. <laughs> wow. That's so cool. I love to hear that in the beginning stages of your, you guys as a team, you were ambitious. I think that's cool. I think a lot of people, especially improvisers, are like too cool to, to want success. Does that make sense? Like, that's like, oh, we're just, we just are hanging out and making jokes. So I like that you guys got together and we're like, we want to, we want our spot. And I'm glad to hear you say that too. Cause I think a lot of times people too think that you're kind of dicky if you are that way. And the fun, and again, if I can say this, that's, which is probably a weird thing to put on my tombstone, even like Hollywood stuff, like getting roles and stuff has never been that crazy for me. The only thing I've ever been a huge dickbag about and super competitive about was improv. And that was kind of like the crazy thing about the other guys in that group. They were the same, like Greg and Mark 
And Bill, we wanted to be the best at it, <laughs> which is a jerky thing to say out loud. But we were so much like, yeah, Tuesday night, oh, we'll have that thing sold. Like Tuesday night was a dead night, like at IO. And we were determined to have it like packed to the gills. Like we wanted to be like the best. <laughs> I love that. And I, I think that mindset, I mean, honestly, we're, we're, we always joke about how arrogant we are as a team too, because I think we can relate to that. And we, we do want to be very good. <laughs> Teams that teams that inspired us and that we looked up to, I think we would unanimously say the Reckoning and Cook County are like teams that we we still today watch and go, how do they do that? They're yeah, so- the Reckoning were the same too. They would be like, they would push like different forms all the time. They'd be like, oh, you've never seen a show like this before. Like Mike would be like walking on tables in the audience. We all kind of came together in that weird sense of like, we took it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so were there were there other teams at the time that, that Cook County looked at and be like, we want to be like them? I know that like we were inspired by a lot. Of, there was a team called Foursquare that were on their way out when I first moved to Chicago. It was like Dan Back at all, Pete Gwynn, John Lutz. We'd go see their shows and then they ended up leaving and we'd see them every time they came back. And so we were kind of really super inspired by those guys because, again, they had this crazy swagger on stage. <laughs> I think the one thing about improv that I get a little crazy about when I, if I ever like coach it or teach it is always to me, like, at least like commit when you're on stage. Like I always kind of get mad when it's um, 12 people on a back line and then three people from the back line step up and stand in a similar line and just like do jokes at each other or like, you know, I'm a doctor, like talk, like say what they are rather than act it out. And there was the thing about like Foursquare they had this like crazy swagger on stage. And I think we super latched into that. Whereas like if we were on stage, like we always got made fun of doing a lot of guy kisses on stage, which I know is like a cheap joke. But to me, like I I always go back to, I, my favorite thing was, is always if I was a wife and Greg was my husband, that a wife would gently kiss her husband on the cheek when he goes to work. Like it was like that level of like crazy commitment where we're like, make people believe that they're seeing something real. Um, and that's what like Foursquare had that swagger. And that's definitely a swagger. Like we, we jumped all over where it was just like, if you're going to see us on stage, we're owning that stage. <laughs> I think more and more, I'm just realizing that confidence and, and the belief that you can fill the Tuesday night slot or that you can commit to this scene super hard and believing that those things can happen changes your trajectory of whether or not you can make those things happen. So I like kind of like love a little bit of cocky in my performer. I'm like, yeah, I want you to be a little cocky. It's like, don't carry it off stage. Don't be an asshole off stage. You know what I mean? But like on stage to me, it was like, if you're like in front of an audience, I'm going to do everything to make it as great an experience as possible. And not, uh, I just get mad. Like if anybody like half asses it <laughs> again, it's so crazy, but it's the only thing like to this day, I can still, I could sit in a bar till 5 a.m. and talk about improv, which is crazy. <laughs> I Why do you think we started this podcast? <laughs> I have kids now. Like, I should have moved on. But I'm also like, it's, it still gets me fired up where I'm like, come on, man. What are you doing wearing a hat and shorts on stage, man? <laughs> <laughs> it's stupid. But yeah, that's still like the thing that my most the thing that I've ever been the most passionate about has been freaking improv the cool thing about that too was that we got to this point where other improvisers like really loved us which was super cool but we had this like kind of history too where like just normal people in Chicago 
had a weird thing around us. Like it would, like we would go back and do shows now and there would be like, a, we met this couple last time who were like, we used to, we started dating. Our first date was at one of your shows on Tuesday night. And they're just like regular Joes. It was the weirdest thing to me. Cause that's the one thing about improv. You guys know this too. It's very much like improvisers for improvisers most of the time. <laughs> but we hit this kind of thing in Chicago where like normal people came to see us and they have this weird connection to us. And I kind of thought that was like a weird, another weird cocky swagger thing of like, we had this victory with like, normal people thought we were good. <laughs> Mark and I did this weird uh, midnight improv show, one Sesco County Social Club, and a stand-up opened for us. And he was the whole time grumbling in the background, like, I fucking hate improv. I want to do my sit and leave. And afterwards, he was like, you guys are great. Like, so like, to me, it was like all these like weird victories of like, the angry stand-up likes us. Normal people dated at our show. And so, I don't know. I kind of like as much as like you can get improv victories in this world, like I love I it. our legacy, kind of that fun victory. We did a set once at Flappers and <laughs> it was very much like the, the audience at Flappers is like a stand-up audience, right? They're there because it's a very stand-up place. And we had a moment of like the first like five, five to eight minutes of our show, the audience was like, what is this? <laughs> But by the end, we I think we had won them over and like they were super into it. And we same sort of thing. We kind of walked off that stage with a little swagger. Like, yeah, I we got them. Just hearing that and thinking it, I'm sorry to go through this thought process. I'm trying to think of what that fire was. And to me, it was like improv is the one kind of like medium where if you see it when it's bad, it's embarrassingly bad. And so there was this kind of like thing where we considered ourselves comedians, not like people who were doing this because it was a fun thing to do on a weekend. And that's the one thing about improv, like it kind of lend itself to like people who were insanely funny, who want to do it really bad here. But it also led in some people who were just, it was a hobby. And so like I'm, our fear was every time we took that stage would be like, people would look at us and like a regular party girl on Tuesday night would walk out of there being like, what were those idiots doing? So we always wanted it to be like, you're seeing trained comedians. Like we considered ourselves comics. And so we wanted us to always be at our absolute best. So we kind of didn't get lumped into this like weird, like bad improv thing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's like surfing. Like, you know, if you're either when you look super cool or you are crashing and burning hard and there is very little in between. <laughs> <laughs> and I have like, again, like I'm not a jerk off stage. Like I, I love people doing it and I understand sometimes it's bad. And I think doing it in front of the audience is one of the most important things you can do. But yeah, sometimes when it's bad, like we were so determined not to fall into that that black hole. <laughs> you are one of the or like your most consistent team. That's nice to hear because we beat ourselves up too. I think people might be surprised about that, especially early on. We would end shows and like our postmortems would just be like an hour and a half long of like, we got to get better, guys. <laughs> Which is funny because now we, we don't do that as much. We can shake it off quickly, but. There was a time there we were so intense about it. It was like, okay, let's break down each scene. What did we do wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to roll some game tape on uh, oh, after yeah. a Cook County show. That sounds fantastic. Okay. That's like my dream. I feel like I'd go every week and be like, I need to know what they thought. Like why, you know what I mean? And just like want to pick your brain, which is, you know, thanks for doing this. Oh, but, oh, I also just wanted to mention, this is a side note, but my fiance and I met at a Cook County show on the stairs at Iowa West. We maybe have brought more people together than anyone. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's at least two couples we know about, guys. Two. <laughs> yep. All right, people. If you're out there and you're trying to get married, you got to take your date to the Cook County Social Club show. All right, that's the secret. no, 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 no. You got to go by yourself and make eyes at people. Oh, is that what, that's what it is? Okay, that's yeah. what happened for me. I was like, what? <laughs> so, Brendan, how did y'all like? Was it hard to talk about your own improv in a way that you all weren't, you know, like insulted or anything? Because I think I've been with a lot of improv groups that have had a hard time talking about shows. And so I'm wondering how y'all did it. Yeah. And I think the personal part is the thing we had to quickly learn. No one is like saying you, Brendan suck. No one's saying Mark, you're the absolute worst. You had to like take it on the chin. Well, first, like our notes would just kind of, we'd kind of make it a general, like, I kind of feel like we weren't listening a lot. (laughs) And then you'd like bring up an example. Where specifically you could say like, like that one scene, Mark, you were kind of like, and then like, maybe if there was a, a early on, there was that definite like, so what are you trying to say? I'm sorry, I screwed up. <laughs> but we got to a point where we did it so much that we did stop taking it personal. And it could get to a point where feelings stopped being hurt. But you, you always kind of like ease into it first so that you're not like right off the bat. Because we also get into that weird thing too, where especially out here in LA, where it was just the three of us, it would be like, Two out of three thought the show was funny. And then surprisingly, one person didn't think it was funny. So you always had to kind of give it like a 15 minute of like chatter where it's like, oh, really? You didn't like that? Okay. And then like you had to ease into it because you're like, okay, maybe some feelings will get hurt. So we like would gently talk around it. And then we'd get to the source where like someone would rip the bandaid off and be like, I just kind of feel like we're doing hack shit out there. I feel like we've done that scene before. And it's like, okay, yeah, good point. Good point. Like we had to get to that point where we quickly stopped being sensitive about it. And really got down to it. And the thing was, is like, once you took it out of the context of like, they were attacking me, you kind of realized like, oh yeah, in the sense of the show, maybe I went for a laugh too hard and sold out like what could have been a, a better overall show for my own individual needs or something like that. And so we would learn to try to like, be constructive about it. Like no one was ever like viciously like, stop fucking around, Brandon. Because <laughs> we also realized what each of us brings to the stage is like so unique. You never wanted to shut that down. But especially, and I'll say like me especially has a tendency like what I, I do well can sometimes overwhelm it and I do too much of it where sometimes I'll need to be like, oh yeah, you're right. I probably like sold out that scene and chased the laugh too hard. Uh, so in the end, it was always really good. Like we never got into huge fights over it. A couple of seconds of hurt feelings and then understanding of like, okay, we all just want this to be the absolute best it can be, which is a hard place to get to. especially like when you're in a Herald team or like put together on, per- like someone else put you together. It's hard to have someone else give you a freaking no. <laughs> uh, but uh, we got to that point. Is- yeah, I think what maybe was the key to your guys' success, and I think what made it work for us too, is that like we all respect each other. Like if you take a note from someone you respect, it can still hurt, but it's like, oh yeah, I trust you. Yeah, yeah, and it's good because it, we never were ever close to breaking up, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing too. Like uh, the other kind of cool legacy, I think, of us was that once we kind of popped up in Chicago, a lot of people were like, oh, do this with your friends. And so a lot of group, independent groups kind of sprung up after we started doing it. But a lot of independent groups also broke up <laughs> because <laughs> they never got into that place where it was like, 
how come we can't do what you guys are doing? And it was that like, we are kind of at this place where we can respectfully dog each other on like making the show as good as possible, where other people just couldn't be in a place where their friend was like yelling at them about an improv scene. Yeah. Like the lifespan of a regular improv team is like, what, like three, six It's crazy, maybe. right? So you guys are an old married yeah. couple. Hard. It is weird. And like, you'll see like, you know, and it, it is kind of like a feeling out process, but then you'll see like those groups kind of splinter out where like two people take themselves out of it and they had two other people. <laughs> but it is like kind of finding that dynamic where you can work in where it's like, okay, all of us are on the same page and we can do this together without like ripping each other apart. How was the transition to Los Angeles? Because it sounds like, and man, I'm COVID makes me so bummed because Jacob and I had planned to go to Chicago this year because I've never been. So I was like, I'm just going to go watch so much improv and go to Second City. I'm going to go to IO. And I already was sad about missing IO before it moved spaces. And now I'm it's like, heartbreaking. Oh, it's never going to happen. I don't even want to think about it. But yeah, I don't even <laughs> want to think about it. But, you know, you guys had this crazy hub. We were just talking to Jed about this where, you know, the culture everybody's like loves it and I feel like it's so it's just this special thing so how was coming to LA and then performing with Greg and Mark and that and how was that transition for you yeah we just left this like kind of crazy like world where the industry wasn't attached to it people were obsessed with improv in Chicago strictly for improv and then we were coming out here where we're like is this just something people do to get like auditions and stuff like we didn't understand how it was and our first few times out here, too, was because a manager put together a showcase. And so we were doing it for casting directors and all that stuff. There was a weird added element of like, this has to be something more than our regular Tuesday shows. And it, it, it was weird. So we kind of came out here missing that weird bubble of people who just did it for improv. But the cool thing was, as we started doing it, and meeting the actual like people doing it was that there was this kind of like community, like that was the same as Chicago. There was the same like love, which I kind of think like when we all, I'll speak for myself, I won't speak for the other guys, but I did think like, there's no way people care about improv as much as we cared about it in Chicago. <laughs> it was cool to find out that the people doing it cared just as much. And the interesting thing was then show wise, it was cool the first time we went up and just did it. We wanted to do UCB because we really loved that room. I don't, this might be stupid, but <laughs> there was kind of this like weird obsession too of being in like certain rooms. There's something about being in a, in a great improv room. Like that original, like you were saying, the original theater at IO in Chicago was just this small, like you felt like you were in a basement and it was magic. When it was good, it was like in the walls, it's in the ceiling, it's a great room. And so we had done like a one set at IO in, in Chicago, in LA. And I, we just didn't like it. The stage is too high. <laughs> it's weird. And then like we did one at the UCB Franklin and we're like, God, that was great. That felt like the old IO. And so we kind of got obsessed with the room <laughs> more than we did performing. And someone was said, you should sign up for cage match. And so we did our first cage match and it was kind of nerve wracking. Because one cage match for anybody listening who doesn't know what that is, like you have to like, survive improv like improv is not a competitive thing so initially right off the gate i hate it it's like <laughs> we shouldn't be judging this <laughs> it's art form but um we won so suddenly i was like keep judging <laughs> but like 
<laughs> so it was our first show that wasn't put together and it wasn't filled with industry types. And so there was this crazy, like, we were, our energy was super high, but I like each one of us was like nervous. And then we went out there and got that first laugh and it was like, oh my God, we're back in Chicago again. It's just a normal audience. We're okay. And so it all kind of like fell into place and we realized it was the same thing. But for the longest time, I was, we were kind of terrified by it. And what the crazy thing we did notice was in Chicago, we were known as very fast and gamey. And then when we got to, when we do same exact show here in LA, we were known as very emotionally grounded, (laughs) 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 which is insane. Like, so like we would get hired in Chicago to run workshops, to teach people how to play game out here in LA, I'll get asked to come coach or teach, to teach people how to do emotional stuff, which is so funny. You know, that's just such a semantics (laughs) thing, because when I think of y'all and the games you play, it's like these patterns and it's so different than a UCB game, which I feel like can fall into the trap of what you said of like two people standing, being jokey and being like, I'm a doctor, (laughs) you know? And just because you're committed to character, all of a sudden everyone in LA is like, whoa, this is some grounded shit, man. (laughs) You really kissed him on the cheek. (laughs) They're in love. It was the very first time in my life. I always thought it was funny in Chicago that there was like this battle between the schools. There's like three different schools of thought. And I'm like, it's all the same shit. And I never thought improv was ever different until I came out here and saw an improv show out here. And I was like, oh, that is different. Like their mindsets are like different about it. So yeah, it was kind of fascinating to come into that. And like, yeah, it really blew a lot of like LA students' minds that like, you were serious? I thought you were a doctor. No, I'm not. <laughs> it, was the, it was the emotional commitment that really got people out here versus like, again, in Chicago, it was just like, how do you guys move so fast? What is that? <laughs> uh, I want to come back to this thing because you mentioned it a couple of times, which I think is great. And it's also a good segue into maybe my favorite Cook County moment. And this idea of being committed to the moment of like, if I was really your wife, I would kiss you. One of my one of my favorite improv memories of all time is because you committed to the moment, Brandon. And I'm sure you, I, I'm sure you remember this. Tasha already knows what I'm going to say. Oh yeah. I know there's yeah. like less clothes than normal. If I was actually at a spa, <laughs> I would take my clothes off. Yeah. Do you remember this show? Yes, Brandon? I do. And there's a photo <laughs> of Brian Jack's face near my backstage bare ass. <laughs> Just so the people listening know what's going on. We're at a Cook County show at IO West and the scene is taking place at a spa of some sort. And I think Mark and Greg are both there and Brendan comes in as a customer of the spa and they usher him into one of the rooms and they tell him just to take his clothes off. And Brendan, one by one, first thing I think was your shirt. You like stuck it out from one of the curtains backstage (laughs) And the audience is dying. They're like, oh my gosh, he really took his shirt off. And then you wait a minute. The scene goes on a little bit more. Next thing is like, you kick your shoes out the door or something. And then your socks and then your shorts and then your underwear. And the audience is dead. We are, we're all dead. And you would like peek your head out of the curtain and like use the cloth to like show us almost more than you should have but you just (laughs) rode that line so good and never once did you sell out the moment by letting the audience in on the joke and then of course just so everyone knows what made it even better was that mark and greg threw your clothes out into the audience so (laughs) (laughs) it was like 
the stakes are so high and it's fun for me to hear you now talk about like one of your like guideposts of improv is fully committing because now I can see like, oh, of course he did that because he's got to fully commit to this. And man, did it pay off in that show. That's so funny to, because at that time too, my brain was, you go for it. And so I went for it, but there was a weird <laughs> moment there because this is like coming on, on again, like on the backs of like nine, 10 years of doing this together. Um, when we were 20, there'd be no thought to like, just fucking do it, baby. Bad boys in comedy. <laughs> uh, you, <laughs> we always, always wanted to make sure we weren't going down that thing of like, we weren't like shock jock improvisers. Like we always wanted to be like really good, commit to the point where it's not like, you're putting on great shows. We wanted to push our art form as far as it can go versus being like the bad boys of comedy. Dropping your pants at the drop of a hat would be something I did once in Chicago and I got in trouble for it. But the thing was, is it was also a room full of people laughing. Again, like it was like, I win because I committed. I got a big laugh for it. Uh, and then I got tr in trouble a couple of weeks later because one person, one person in that audience called the IO and was mad about it. And Turner was like, you can't be up there dropping your pants like your soupy sales. You're going to get me fired. Uh, <laughs> so I was like hesitant to do something like that again. I was like, okay. And never comes up again. And then that show happens at the IOS. And there's this moment where, again, when we were like 20 and crazy, no question in my brain, I'm doing it. And then suddenly I'm backstage and I do the shirt bit. And I'm like... I get, I hear that laugh and I'm like, oh boy, oh boy, don't do it. <laughs> but because that laugh happened, I'm like, I wonder if I can get away with this. But now I'm like 30 something and I'm like, do you do it, Brendan? <laughs> they're, they're in my brain, I'm battling out there and I kind of see Mark smirk when like my undershirt comes off and he takes the undershirt off and like Mark tosses the undershirt into the crowd. And I'm like, oh, they're laughing. That was the other thing that kind of came along with Cook County was that the guys you're on stage with are laughing at it. You're probably doing okay with the audience. And so the fact that I see Mark and Greg start to laugh, suddenly I'm like 20 again. And I'm like, I'm going to take my pants off. <laughs> it, but there was this weird hesitation in me where it was like, you know, and also times were different too. It's also like, we never wanted it to be a shocking thing. Like I never wanted to be like, my clothes are off because I'm fucking crazy. <laughs> but it was, and your brain was, if I commit super hard to this bit, we could get monster laughs. And like, so that really is where it came from. And it was, but it, it's so funny to hear you talk about that moment because internally there was this battle of like, what am I doing <laughs> for the right reasons? <laughs> <laughs> am I getting naked on stage right. for the right reason? It's <laughs> a great question because it's like that shock factor sometimes isn't funny. People just are just pushing to push, but. I love that you kind of commit, like commit to the corner you painted yourself in by making one move that worked really well. And I feel, I felt very inspired by that. I'm, I'm assuming subconsciously because I hadn't thought about it, but now I'm like, oh, when I do, when I'm like, oh, we have a show tonight. I'd be like, oh, what bra should I wear? Just in case. And most of the time it's like, no, nobody's seeing that. But there are plenty of times when they were, and I was like, okay, just make sure you're wearing good underwear. Just, you never know. I, no joke, because of that first time it ever happened, every time I do a show, I go, oh, got to check those undies, man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, really quick to just think about again like that idea of not being like shockingly commitment. The other thing that kind of came out of like 
us doing stuff. And when people would hear us talk about emotional commitment and stuff, we'd get people in our workshops who would like come in and start doing like crazy things just to do crazy things. And we'd have to go like, no, 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 not that. <laughs> it has to like naturally come up. The thing about me being naked on stage was the lights didn't go down and the lights didn't come up and I was naked and just like giving the finger to the audience. It was like, that's what this happened in scene work through natural scene work. So there was this weird <laughs> kind of like ball that guy kind of got set loose into the world after like we started teaching workshops where people would be like, but I'm super committed, man. I'm like screaming curse words and hitting people. And it's like, that's not it. <laughs> like, where we'd have like the one side of like people who were under committed and then we'd have the people who like committed to something in their head before anything even started and went super hard because they thought like doing comedies means like shocking an audience. So that's uh, another thing that kind of popped into my head is when I'm 30 something and on the at the iOS taking my pants off where it was like, what am I doing? But in the end, it was worth it. <laughs> for what it's for what it's worth, I think it's that question that was part of what made it so enjoyable is it, it almost seemed like it was out of your control. Like it wasn't, a, it was like you just found yourself in the situation and the improv gods required of you to get naked and you were almost doing it against your will, but you knew it had to be done. Yeah. It was just, it was so fun, man. Uh, yeah, that's a great one. That, uh, and especially now there was, uh, Greg and I just had a conversation recently where we kind of realized this is like the first time in like, Jesus, almost 20 years that we've gone this long without doing a show. It was such Whoa. a part of our lives. We never took breaks until we came to LA. The thing was, is like once in LA, like, you know, I have kids, Mark has kids. We'd hit these small ruts where suddenly like Mark and I took two weeks off. You know what I mean? But like, so suddenly we're weirdly taking time off, which we never done before. But then even when we're taking time off, it was like two weeks. And now like suddenly it's been almost a year since we've done a show and like Greg and I were like, God, it, at first it was like this weird kind of refreshing thing. 20 years, you're doing it every week. Kind of cool to be like, wow, I just took a month off of improv. Hey. But at the same time, I had, I still was finishing up the writer's room. Um, I had other things happening. And now suddenly I'm in this void where I haven't done it for so long. And I'm like, I am dying to do a show. Greg and I were just talking about that and just, oh my God, it's been so crazy long. It's so crazy how it's been such a part of our lives. Hopefully it's back when we come back. You know what I mean? I'm like so anxious to do it. I just did an improv marathon for charity, but it was on Zoom. And I was like, oh, I can't look at anybody in the face. No one's connecting with me. And it was like being a beginner again. Like all the scenes are like, welcome to this bakery. Do you like pie? You know, like everything I hate is happening. I'm like on a little screen. And so oh, I can't wait for it to come back. Yeah, there's no, you can't feel the people's energy as much. You can't pick up on subtleties and no one's looking you in the eye. It's very, oh, it's strange. We've been doing quite a bit of Zoom improv and I I felt like, how many shows have we done now, Trav, over Zoom? Oh, geez, we're, we're probably getting up at like 20 or 30, right? Wow. Okay, so it took, I'm going to say like 18 shows yeah, absolutely. of me being like, oh, I can't listen. Oh, I can't. Listen. And then there's like these little, like little moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, it felt the same. This is the moment I've been waiting for. And I think we're feeling that same thing you and Greg are feeling where we're like, we just really want to connect and we miss each other so much. Yeah. I couldn't believe how, and again, kind of thinking about how we do it. 
I instantly was like, oh, wow. I look at people in the face a lot, I guess, because like everything I needed was like, someone just look at me. <laughs> <laughs> look at my square and look into my eyes, please. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just a thing which I think is the thing that might kill it, you know, totally. Like as far as in the future, once COVID is over, is just like not being able to hear the audience is just killer sometimes. And you, yeah. you have this feeling of you don't know, which I'm wondering if you've ever had where you're like, am I doing this for me? Am I doing this improv show for me or for the audience right now? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that was another interesting thing on the LA transition to go back to that thought too. We kind of came into this place where we created our own bubble in Chicago. And for like, again, like nine plus years, we had a sold out room on every Tuesday night that knew us. And then suddenly we were like, yeah, we'll pick up this show here. And like, we'd go to like a little LA theater and it was cool because the people doing it, the other teams were like, this feels like Chicago. They're super into it. But then we'd go out for like an audience of like four people or something and they weren't laughing. Then it was like, well, what do we do? Do we do this for ourselves? <laughs> and I think there has always been a part of Cook County that has survived bad crowds or, or, or whatever was that the answer to a small extent is kind of yes. If I do something that makes Greg laugh, then I it's kind of a successful night. Like if I make Mark laugh afterwards and he goes, man, that was good. I don't know what their problem was. Then we kind of won. <laughs> so that was the other thing I kind of came after doing this together for so long was that sometimes an audience would, would not give you what you wanted and we'd come off stage kind of bummed and then we'd start talking about it and be like, man, that was actually pretty darn good. And it was because I think the one thing we do do well is like, like you were kind of saying before, Tosh, was that our shows kind of run into a place where they're almost like a bad Cook County show isn't super bad. Like we got to a place where that happened. And I think the small part of that was, is that we still go out to make each other happy. <laughs> like at no point did we ever kind of sell it out and just be like, let's just get through this frigging thing. Clunk, clunk, clunk. Instead it would be like, ah, oh, the audience is kind of dead. Let me see if I can make Greg laugh now. <laughs> I love that. I think the last, I don't know if it was the last, but one of the last shows we did before COVID was just me and Pishy. And I remember there was one guy in the audience and I looked at him and I was like I'm doing this for you man <laughs> and I was like I'm just gonna try to make him laugh the whole time and then the one guy was great and was like so engaged and was like a very free laugher and it was a super fun show and I was like I'm commuting with that motherfucker right now and it was worth it you know it's such a weird balancing act like because if you do go too far into the audience you run that thing where the show gets away from you and then you're selling out to like, and I, we've had this, like, you know, Lord knows Captain Giggle Pants here, old Brendan Jennings, here's a laugh. And he'll just start tap dancing <laughs> away. <laughs> and then the, gets, then the show gets away from you and falls down. And then the other one would be, you start doing it too much for each other and then you lose the audience. So it is that weird balancing act of like, I don't know, I feel like a good improv group does it for each other. And then also goes out to please an audience. <laughs> and then either way, like you can shift gears when it, when either or dumps on you, you know what I mean? <laughs> if suddenly like Greg goes dead in the eyes, I'm like, I'm going to make these guys laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I often find too, if I, if an audience is super cold, if some, if I find something that tickles me and I lean into that, that they will be like, oh, but that person's having fun. And sometimes it'll 
warm him up a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there is something again too of like being super committed again shows that I I you can eventually win people over if you don't drop. You know what I mean? If you keep plugging away at it, it's like, oh wow, he he's trying at least. <laughs> What's your favorite things about Greg and Mark as performers? Like what do you feel like their strengths are? Um I think uh what's our dynamic is so friggin' weird everybody does everything so good but everyone can fall into like a certain gear that they always hit and then people can go to other gears and greg is such a dennis the menace (laughs) i i really like he'll get a twinkle in his eye on stage where you just can start going and chasing something stupid and he'll come with you because he loves it he does kind of love like poking the audience so some of our most fun games come from Greg just like a little twinkle in his eye <laughs> deciding to follow a thread that no other human being should follow and we should just follow the scene that's happening <laughs> and instead he'll do it to like poke the audience and then Mark is just the ultimate friggin' straight man he's so good at being the normal person surrounded by chaos <laughs> <laughs> that we have like tapes of our old shows and I'm always 10 times laughing the hardest at Mark because he says like the one line that's grounded in a world of insanity. <laughs> He's so freaking good at it. And the thing is, is like, we know when to let someone else like kind of like shift and take the focus. We know when to pull back and they're both good at dealing with me, which is like, I'm kind of a hurricane and I never want to be like a steamroller, but like if I'm out there on stage, I'm going to perform. So like I tend to talk too much. And so they both deal with that. <laughs> and that's probably their greatest gift <laughs> is dealing with my yapping mouth. It's just so weird that we can just, no matter how long we've been away, like we could probably do a show tonight and we'll walk off stage and think it was clunky, but we will fall into it again real fast where it's just like, there's a calming presence that we only get from each other. Like if, so one of us panics. We can always look at one of us and calm each other down. Because I think our desire to be the best, if you take that on individually, sometimes it can get away from you. And it's like, well, I got to do it. I got to do it now. Fuck. And instead, like, as soon as you get into those weird moments of panic, because you're not hearing laughter or, or the scenes aren't really connecting, like, you'll just look over and it'll be like, okay, m- let Mark ride the course a little bit. <laughs> and then it will calm itself down. Like, it is a weird machine that we've kind of created that I've only found really works with those guys. Like I've done improv shows with a lot of other people and it's always super fun. I have a great time doing it, but I can get away with so much more because those other two are on stage. So was something that I always noticed with you is just the energy that you walk out on stage with is just already so high that when you walked out from behind the curtain, I would be in stitches before the show started, you know? And I was just wondering, is there anything that you and your teammates do before stage or in the day of a show or leading up to a show to be able to get yourself there, especially if you're not there in the day? Maybe back in the day, but not now. Now we really, no joke, show up sometimes two minutes beforehand because the cool thing about working together for so long is that it could be two minutes to lights and someone can walk in having like, you know, had problems getting to the show and we can still get on there. And I do think kind of going back to what all of our little parts are, is that the one thing I have always been able to do is have crazy high energy. There's something about an audience where the second that curtains opens, Papa's ready to 
make them smile, <laughs> that my energy is always super high. Whereas like Mark and Greg can be such great calming influences within a show. One thing I can always do for them is before a show is instantly kind of like explode out onto the stage and have energy. And like sometimes that thing of like, you know, Mark had to like put the baby down and the baby was wide awake and he just barely got to the show on time can like snap Mark into show energy. It can snap like Greg into show energy. So I'm always, it's hard getting to shows now, <laughs> but when we're at shows, the second I hear an audience, I'm like, cannot wait to do this. Like we're like, we get super like fired up. And so the energy thing is just really no joke. This like crazy desire to be like, I'm going to make this crowd laugh. <laughs> I don't know like what that is in my brain, but I've always had that. And the fact that a live audience, and I think that's what I missed with the Zoom thing big time was that I was like, I need to make somebody laugh. <laughs> that's what I miss on sets too. Like when you do things, I have this kind of crazy panic when somebody says, okay, moving on to the next scene where I'm like, was that good? <laughs> <laughs> did anybody laugh at that like the only thing i ever need is like a weird pat on the hand of like very funny but i need it like there's like this crazy thing of like if an audience is out there no matter how tired i am all of a sudden like if someone says cook county social club i'll rip open that curtain and be like yeah baby cook county is one of the only improv teams i've ever seen that I was like, oh, you y'all could have like a, a Netflix special that was like an entire season and like every show, if you if you just filmed it really well in front of a live audience, every show would be a, a hit, hit, hit. And I'm like, I still want that to be a thing that happens. I want that in your future. I don't know if that's a thing y'all are going for. It's something we definitely talked about uh, definitely within the past like five years or so. And it just seems like the trade's getting further and further away from it. But when we do, you see like a Netflix special go up with improv, you're like, oh my God, that's what we wanted for five years. I always wonder the value of seeing taped improv. I don't know. It's hard. It's no joke. This is stuff we've talked about forever. Mark was Mark is very much like, let's get a show going. And we've had cool ideas for it and stuff like that. It's just stuff that never pans out because it is a weird thing that you can't really explain to people. And it is a weird thing too, especially when you put it in industry terms of like putting it on TV and stuff. When you bring people out to shows and they get that live audience energy, they get it. And they're like, yeah, man, what is this? How do we put that in a bottle? And then you second, you start like filming stuff. People are like, where's that little magic that happened? You know what I mean? So weird. Yeah. It's like watching, I was watching the tape of Hamilton and you're like, okay, it's a, it's a whole new third thing than it was on paper and that it was live. And if it's really intentional and it's filmed well and edited well, I think you can capture some of it. But if it's just like your little phone in the back, it's like that, that spark of, of, you know, it's like what makes film interesting is that you have to be able to manipulate it and make it a third thing. Right. Yeah. I still think it could work. I, you know what? I would love to, and Mark would love to sit and talk about this too, because we have, it's always cracking that nut, right? There is something unforgettable about being in that room with the crowd that you're all doing something together. Like you're all vital parts of what's happening right now. <laughs> that weirdly gets shifted away when you add that third element in. <laughs> so I wonder, I would love to crack it. <laughs> First of all, I agree with Tasha. I think that, I think you guys are, I think it would, I think you'd be able to capture it. There's enough magic that even if you lost a little bit, there's still going to be some magic there. <laughs> but I do, this is kind of a good transition before we let you go. I do want to talk to like Brendan, the actor, 
you know, to see, yeah, get serious. No more Pull bits. <laughs> no more bits. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just if your process is different, you know, when you see a script, when you, you know, when you're on set and they call action, is your process different than it is at, when you approach an improv show? I think I wish it wasn't, but it is because I wish I had the confidence I had on stage. I kind of can carry a little bit of the, my stage confidence into an audition because, again, there's a part of like pleasing a casting director that weirdly I shift to thinking in audience terms, but on set, I kind of, I've, when I'm on something for a bit, like, like AP is shooting and I've done like three weeks in a row of work, like a certain confidence kind of sets in, but I'm never 100% the Brendan who's on stage. Like on stage, I really kind of feel untouchable, which is again, such a cocky thing to say. If anybody knew how unconfident I am as a person, <laughs> you wouldn't be hearing this thinking like, what a D-bag. But like on stage in front of a live audience, I, I there's an odd confidence that springs up that it doesn't really exist in my everyday life. And on set, there's so many other weird things happening that I don't know, I, I've... I've I haven't clicked into feeling entirely comfortable on an on a, on a on a TV set. I I think I'm missing connecting with somebody and getting a reaction to what I'm doing. But I'm, I'm my confidence is growing. But it's definitely I'm a lot more as you can tell from this rambling answer insecure when <laughs> I go out for something. And if I like, especially doing guest spots, like I'm never like the leading man. I'm always like the comedic goof who shows up for a couple of days on some sets. When you enter into a place that's so comfortable and your job is just to kind of come in and shoot your one or two scenes and then leave, you just don't want to fuck it up, right? And there's that added pressure of like pleasing, not fucking things up, moving things along. Am I giving them what they want? And all that kind of like lives in my brain and like can weigh me down a bit. <laughs> so I haven't weirdly like hit this point where I'm like Johnny cool as an actor. So I, I, it's kind of like a weird ball of like nervousness, which my poor wife gets to like live with all the time where she's like, how's the audition? I'm like, I don't know. I think it sucked. And then you, it's like, Oh, you got it. Hey, that's awesome. I don't know. Is it awesome? Cause I got to go there now. I'm going to suck. And then it's like, he shot it. And it was like, how did it go? Oh, the director said it was good. That's great. Is it great? I think I sucked. Like, <laughs> There's just such a ball of insecurity that I can never lose. And then suddenly it airs. And then I watch and I go, Oh, that actually turned out pretty great and then no joke like you know my wife will be like that was awesome and walk away and 20 minutes later i'll go did that suck <laughs> <laughs> well let me let me take this opportunity brendan just to give you a couple compliments okay that's what i need baby give it a couple compliments real quick uh dale is easily one of my favorite characters on ap bio you are so funny in that role and and specifically, I think my favorite Dale moment, it might be my favorite AP bio moment, don't tell anyone else, is is when you there's a leak in the bathroom and you it's just this sort of like physical comedy, like series of things going wrong for you and just reacting to like the water, the water's leaking and like the I I, I I feel like maybe the roof it's the season two, I think. So it's been yeah, a while yeah. since I watched it. But I just remember being like all the pipes are is, busting. All exactly, all the pipes are busting, and you're just you're just trying to do it. And I'm like, man, like Brendan, of all the things I've seen you do, which I I, I went through a, a Brendan binge and watched like your curb, your enthusiasm, and your Parks and Rec. I watched all your stuff, and you're great in everything, first of all. But I think that moment is like, oh, that's Brendan. Like, man, he killed it. Oh, thanks, man. I and you know, joke that really makes me feel good because it is. I wish I could put into more clear words what it is. But there's a certain like 
a safety net of improv that I always love that I have to like leave when I do like acting things. And I don't get whatever like reassurances I need when I'm doing it. So like, I don't, maybe it's a comedy thing too. I think like there is a certain thing about comedians where we need some sort of like pats on the back or something like that to make ourselves feel good. Cause I think I, my natural instinct is always to be like, you suck, you idiot. <laughs> and so like when I do these things, it kind of like, so you bring up curb, which is so funny. I was so nervous to get that. I was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. And then I found I was doing a scene with like Larry David. One day I'll have to sit down and give you the long story, but I'll tell you the, the, the quick story was suddenly you're on set and you're watching like a curb your enthusiasm episode happen around you. It's crazy. And then it's time for you to do this thing. And so the thing is, is I was hired to do this scene that was a lot longer. Like we got to improvise with each other and it was super fun. It went great. If that was my day, I would have walked out and said, holy crap, what a dream. I improvised with Larry David. He laughed. It was great. But the truth is, on the either side of that happening, I had to drive a wheelchair and hit another human being. I had to do a stunt on television. I am not a stunt man. <laughs> and the thing is, when you audition to this, you, I, no one, you, there was no stunt involved. So I show up the day of and find out I have to do this stunt where I'm driving this wheelchair and I have to stop it just right and crash into another human being. And I had to do this, like the front end of it and then the reverse end of it on either side of me working with Larry David, who is by the time we started doing it, is three hours into shooting and went from like being in a really good mood into being kind of grouchy Larry David because we're shooting in a strip mall. And next door, he's shooting the scene right before he and I are supposed to do our thing um, where he's talking to someone on the phone. All he has to do is like have the second end of a phone conversation. But we're in a strip mall because we're shooting on location. And next door, there's somebody like very loudly doing their work. (laughs) And he's trying to do his thing where he's like, what's that? You're not coming in today. And then he'd take long pauses and he'd go, what is all that? (laughs) And this is all before he's supposed to do something with me. So I'm terrified. But then the thing happens between he and me. And again, in my opinion, I felt it went really well. But on either side, I have to do the stunt. And the stunt is a disaster. And so to kind of, again, go into how I feel on set, my day ends with them being like, okay, okay, that's good. We got it. Let's go on. And I feel like everyone hates me. Now, again, I'm putting much more weight on things than you possibly can imagine. When you're on a film set, everybody's got jobs to do. The day is long. They're moving. They don't have the time to stop and pat like one person on the head. (laughs) As an improv show, I'd have an audience patting me on the head. No one's patting him on the head. So I'm like, I fucking sucked. That was terrible. And I lived with this for months. There was this crazy thing where I <laughs> I hit the stunt man too hard. And he was, <laughs> I have to tell you the long story. It's, oh, no. One day we'll have to hear the long story. So I'm going and I have to catch a bus because I don't drive. <laughs> where were you? Where were you to where drive me you home? Should have texted me. <laughs> so I'm standing there on this bus stop and I'm weighing in my head. Was that good or was that bad? And I lived with this for months and I forget about it. And then the thing finally airs. And what they show in that scene is such a truncated version of like what we did. Everything was sliced so much. And now again, there's so much to do that's out of your hands. But because you're a person by yourself in this world, you're like, they cut it because of me. (laughs) 
<laughs> and he was like, oh, that was funny, man. That was great. And, and I was like, it was awful. It sucked. I hate it. Like, so that's acting to me, like acting on screen is this never ending snowball of holy crap. I sucked. Even like when you get to come back again and do it, but like, there's all this stuff that goes into it that you don't get when it was just like simple. We're doing an improv show on Tuesday night and the audience laughed. I felt good and confident. And then I go to these things and I'm like, Oh God. Oh. <laughs> it's funny. You say that you're, you're like, Oh, I'm just always, I'm never the leading man. Cause I'm like, whenever I have some dream of a sitcom, you are the leading man. Lucky like you. in my heart of hearts, any idea I've ever had <laughs> stars, Brendan Jennings. Cause I was like, it's all right if I'm not funny. He's funny. He'll make it happen. <laughs> True story. Tosh and I briefly workshopped the pilot where it was like a city council and we we had you to play our mayor. In oh. our stream. Yeah. Oh, or That's or I also I have also have the uh, a pilot about a Mormon ward and you're the bishop and that's the character. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, Brendan is the bishop. Let's make it happen. All right. That's I'm great. obsessed. Yeah. It's Put crazy. it out in the universe. <laughs> it's really crazy. It's it's nuts. But it's good. I'm like thankful every time I do get a job. But there there is this process where my poor wife has to keep picking me up from the ground. <laughs> 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 I think that's very relatable it to is. all of us. Yeah, yeah I, is, I, I yeah. feel like it is. It's it's something about comedy. I think a lot of people don't understand. I mean, when you go on all these like general meetings and stuff, and you meet the people who are like in charge of letting a show show up, <laughs> like casting people, there is like a weird disconnect where they think you're supposed to have this crazy confidence of somebody who went to an acting school forever, and it's like we didn't go to acting school. We do dumb improv shows. <laughs> I need you to tell me this was okay. Yeah, I need that feedback, please. <laughs> yeah. So funny. Do you have any uh, desire for uh, dramatic work? Is there inside of you? Is there a, a uh, desire to try serious acting? I would do it if it came along. I th And I think that's like one thing people always do get surprised with is like, oh, wow, man, you were pretty in in into it. <laughs> The one thing that does like, the, I I don't know how to like set myself, but I can definitely connect emotionally. Emotionally, the one thing I do do well on a set is I think I understand emotionally what I'm supposed to be bringing to someone else. What I don't understand is like where my hand should be when I'm holding a mop. <laughs> Other stuff. But if like something dramatical came along, I'd do it, but I'd never get sent on it. I think I kind of like have fallen into this. Um, that's the other fun thing about improv shows is that I can do everything. I can be an asshole. I can be a bad guy. I think in TV, though, my reel is very much like funny, goofy, lazy guy dope. <laughs> and I keep getting those. I'd love to keep getting those, but I would do it. I, I definitely get all comedy stuff. <laughs> that's why I was so shocked I got this audition for when I did Better Call Saul, because I'm like, that's a pretty heavy show. And then I was like in the one funny scene. <laughs> <laughs> of that show which is cool i'm very glad to have been i'm like i get to put that on my resume that's pretty badass but that's it is like show. to be yeah. like a dope <laughs> <laughs> okay well tasha's gonna make her series about where you can play the the bishop oh. all right it's all right a really dark like limited series where you're a serial killer you and you just like go around <laughs> murdering babies the whole time. yes please i can do it guys i have range I, just tell me i'm good no <laughs> brendan just being like i just can't stop thinking about that kid in the pajamas if I can't have her, I'm going to kill her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> well, that to me seems like a really good place to end the interview on, Brendan. Does anyone else have any other questions for Brendan? No. Do you have anything that you just want to throw out there for the the improv youths of the world? Um, ourselves included. If I had to sum up my journey, the one cool thing about the writer's room, I'll say this. Uh, when I started working in the writer's room on AP Bio, I was, I just turned 40. It was about to turn 40. Once I got in there, it was one of the best experiences of my life. And I could do it is what I was going to come up and say. And I for basically can sit, say this. So it took me till I was 40 to admit that I could do it. Um, I think if you're an improv student or whatever out there, and if you got anything out of this like little podcast thing is like, have confidence that you can do something. There's a lot of things out there selling you, you can't do it. And the worst thing is, is probably your own brain. And so it took me a very long time to think that I could be a writer. And now I know I could be a writer. Um, it took me a long time to realize I could be an actor and I have done acting things. And even though I still yell at myself at bus stops because I think I fucked something up. <laughs> the truth is, is that that thing still aired. I still got the job. I still did it. And I, I often don't spend time reflecting on the fact that I've achieved things. And I'm always worried about what I haven't done. So I think there is like this idea of just take into your own little heart that you can do something. Like the, the odds are stacked against you in ways you don't know about, but also just have confidence in yourself to be able to do it and know that, you're good enough. <laughs> wow. I love it. Thank you. I think the recording stopped right before you finished. Ah! Yeah, uh, when, I said, when I said that was it, that we stopped recording. Uh, wow. And that was very good advice, but I guess it's just for us. Yeah. And you know what? You're the only Two best. out of three of us are really going to take that to heart. Yeah. You exactly. know what's good? That means all the shitty improv kids didn't hear it. Because <laughs> I, what I was going to say for the next two seconds was, unless you suck, because you can't do it. <laughs> Brandon, you're such a delight. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Thank you, guys. That was really fun. Yeah, everyone, please go watch AP Bio. You can find it on Peacock Season 4 coming up soon, which is super exciting. Uh, where can people find you, Brendan? Um, uh, I check in on Twitter. I had to, because of the election, I jumped off. <laughs> but I'm on Twitter once a week now instead of every day. So at Jennings Brendan, I sometimes put fart jokes on there. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, yeah, thank you so much. Just thank you, guys. Just what a true delight you are. That was awesome. Thank you. Hey, guys, it's Travis here. I know that seemed like the end of the podcast, but after that moment, we just kept talking. So we're going to let you keep listening. Hope you enjoy. End of podcast. We did it. We did it. Man, we did it. <laughs> we I can't did. wait to, man, I can't wait to see you perform again. Oh, I believe. I, I, got, I believe, man. I, I wonder when all that will happen again. I don't want to live in a world where there's no Cook County. Oh, I can't imagine it. I, that's why I think things will be fine, especially because Mark is the one person who's like, it'll be fine. And Mark, Greg and I are the ones who are like, we won't be fine. <laughs> <laughs> But somehow I think it will work out. I just can't wait to freaking do it again. How are, have you guys felt uh, good with the the Zoom shows? It's like, I mean, it's interesting that you brought up that it felt like you were beginner improv again because we had that exact conversation where we were like, oh yeah, like I have to check in with you still, even though it's like on a screen, like, oh yeah, I need to be emotionally invested. Like all of improv basics, we just had to re- learn basically yeah it's crazy and it and I, no joke i think it is because like you are in a square by yourself on a screen 
that instantly in my brain was like, I'm the only one doing things. And I have to scream real loud and like, and everybody's not listening to each other. It was, oof, and I was like so depressed afterwards because I wanted it to be like, to like scratch the itch I'd been missing and it did not scratch it. Oh, no. I will say, uh, maybe it's just for me because I'm overly optimistic. The past three or four, like Tosh said, it's taken a while, uh, have have at least scratched that itch. It's oh, not the good. same. It's different. But there have been a couple shows that we've logged off and I've been like, oh, that was fun. Like, you, f- I feel that charge a little bit, you know. So it, it is definitely, for me, it's better than nothing. That's great. Yeah, yeah it's hard because I, I honestly am like, I don't. I don't know that it has that thing where it's for an audience. Cause even if like we have people who are watching, I just, I'm like, there's no way it's as enjoyable, but it has been a good way for us to stay connected and do bits uh, and like be, be with each other in, in that way. So even if it is just more for us, I feel like it, we're staying afloat during that time that's the by best. being with each other in that way. It will make me so much more appreciative when it comes back. Cause I mean, like, I was even just thinking the other day, you guys did shows at that one that um, Holly was putting up at Highland Park, right? That bowling alley, that sweat mm-hmm. lodge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I remember how like a couple of those shows, I was like, why the fuck are we doing this? Now I'm like, I would give anything <laughs> to do that room right now. It was so to be loud. In that hot, it was so loud. loud it was room. so loud where people in the back were like, what? Yeah, I couldn't hear anything. Oh. And I remember like hating that show. And then the, it just popped in my head the other day of like, man, those were good times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, and Natasha even talking about that show that we did for one person. I was like, man, that was a great night. Yeah. <laughs> I'd kill for that one person. Oh. All right, guys. Thank you so much, man, for having me. I hope Thank I gave you, you something you. good. Absolutely. Oh, it was wonderful. So I'm actually, it made me sad that we never had you as a coach. I'm like, when things come back, we got to convince Brendan <laughs> yeah, to come exactly. coach us. Yeah, instead, we so wasted fun. our money on Greg. Oh, <laughs> serious Greg and his Steppenwolf training. <laughs> 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 that was uh greg did the steppenwolf summer program uh one summer in chicago and every show afterwards for that like a whole year would be like god greg had to go and steppenwolf it up like we would just bust his balls so hard like you remember when you used to be funny man <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right friends all right, cool. all right. You thank, you guys. You, thank you thank you now i do this <laughs> leave Thank you so much for listening to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show. If you would like to donate or be a sponsor, please check out our website, stormchaserimprov.com. Plus, there's some really cute pictures of the three of us on there. So, you know, also should maybe check out our pictures on our Instagram. We're handsome. Thank you for listening to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show. 